This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I started Self Work about gosh, almost four years ago now, with some specific goals in mind to reach out to those of you who already were very familiar with psychological and emotional issues and just wanted a place to hear more about it from maybe another perspective, to those of you who had been initially diagnosed with depression or anxiety or having some kind of relationship problem that you just couldn't get through, but also to those of you who might think you would never darken the door of a therapist, but you were just curious enough to listen to a podcast. I wanted to extend the walls of my practice. I have loved being a therapist for over 25 years, and I wanted to reach out to more people. You know, most of us who aren't in denial about the seriousness of this pandemic are experiencing more anxiety these days. In fact, I would imagine that even those people that look like they're in denial are also anxious. We're washing our hands more, careful about what we pick up or how we touch things, wearing masks or even face shields. So today in this episode sponsored by BetterHelp, I'm going to share some facts about three different mental illnesses that actually may be emerging with COVID or certainly could be escalating. I've heard about it with my own patients and certainly it's no surprise given both the specific fears of getting this potentially deadly illness and its nature as a respiratory virus, not something we can see and thus avoid. So what are those three illnesses? First, we'll talk about obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD. We'll go over the differences between obsessions and compulsions. The second one is actually phobias. And the two we're going to look at most specifically are germophobia, fear of germs, bacteria, and viruses, or agoraphobia, which are fears concerning leaving the house. And it's much more limiting than social anxiety. But the last, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Actually, PTSD is not an anxiety disorder anymore. It's been moved in the diagnostic manual and is now considered a more trauma-based disorder. But of course, there's a lot of anxiety that is invoked with PTSD. As usual, I not only tell the stories of real people who struggle with these conditions, but how they're coping in the midst of the pandemic or how they got better and what they and you can do about it. I'm purposefully leaving out generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety, and panic disorder, not because they're not important, but simply because of time. Our listener email for this week, a regular feature of self-work. We hear someone state that they've been in a relationship with someone else who says they've stepped on their identity. The listener says they don't think that's possible, but are just curious enough to ask me if and how that could happen. So I'll be happy to answer. So sit back, relax. Wash your hands, and let's talk about anxiety during COVID and how it could actually emerge as a classic mental illness. My 
My regular listeners know that I still experience panic attacks from time to time. I was diagnosed, gosh, back in my late 20s. They come on much more rarely, but are triggered by unexpected, usually, feelings of being evaluated or seen. Mine is a type of performance anxiety, and when they were more frequent, were a damn nuisance. I hated them and wanted to be rid of them. But I finally learned that I had things to learn from having anxiety, and if I accepted its presence, then I could learn to manage it, to work with it. Along the way, it taught me humility, patience, and acceptance of my own vulnerability. I even came to think of it as a gift. Of course, now if I was in the middle of a panic attack, that was a very difficult thought to hold on to when I'm shaking like a leaf. So I'm being generous there. But today we're talking about anxiety disorders that you may already have been diagnosed with, but they are emerging more strongly as you've been triggered by the ambiguity and lack of the accustomed organization of your life that you're now facing. Or, of course, we might be talking about some kind of anxiety disorder actually emerging due to the trauma of the panic. Of course, to sort of balance this out, there are many whose overly busy lives have actually slowed down, and they are truly enjoying more peace with a much slower pace to life. Maybe there were arguments between parents that now seem to have stopped because everybody's home and everyone can see how hard the other one was working. Maybe a parent who was quieter and more introverted didn't feel as much a part of their camp-loving, sports-oriented family, but now, with more time reading and playing games at home, can feel more of a part of things. Maybe kids were struggling with online classes or parents struggling with the dual role of teacher and parent, but all of a sudden, creativity is coming to the rescue, new priorities are being honored, and even adoptions of pets are at an all-time high. It's like, well, since we're not sure how we're going to take care of ourselves, let's take care of an animal. (laughs) Love that. But it's not that way for everyone, especially not for those with an anxiety or trauma-based disorder. But before we get to the specifics, I'd like you to hear a special offer from BetterHelp. I was delighted when BetterHelp reached out to me as a potential sponsor. What exactly is BetterHelp? BetterHelp is an online therapy service that will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's not a crisis line. It's not really self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. I also tried this out, of course, for my self-work listeners, and I was very impressed with the two counselors I tried. There's a broad range of expertise, and you're actually matched to the therapist that they believe will work best for you. You can have video sessions, phone sessions. You can text. And actually, it's much less expensive than, quote-unquote, normal therapy. And BetterHelp is rated number one by so many platforms that specialize in trying to help you find the best therapy online for you. There's a special offer for self-work listeners where you get 10% off your first month at trybetterhelp.com slash self-work. That's trybetterhelp, that's H-E-L-P dot com slash self-work. You can begin getting help today, and I highly recommend it. So give it a try. Okay, let's get down to it. Let's first focus on OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. This diagnosis has been popularized by the people who will say, I'm just so OCD. And what they often mean is that they like structure. Maybe change isn't something they adapt well to, that kind of thing. Maybe they keep checklists. But true OCD is miserable. Nobody who has OCD wants to have OCD. The obsessions can cause your thoughts to rapidly move from irrational belief to irrational belief and fear. 
I remember learning in grad school, however, to pay attention to what might be the kernel of truth in an obsession, basically challenging its irrationality. I remember a woman I worked with who was older, probably about my age now, and she had an obsessive fear that there were people living in her attic, and she would perform certain things compulsively to help soothe that anxiety, like staying up all night and sleeping during the daytime. Come to find out, in her past, some local neighborhood boys had thrown rocks at her attic windows. It was a minor prank, but that's when her obsessions began. Obsessions are unwanted and obtrusive thoughts. Compulsions are behaviors that you tell yourself you must perform to get rid of the anxiety, or at least help you cope with it. Here's a great breakdown of the different kinds of obsessions and their accompanying compulsions. There are washers who are afraid of contamination. They usually have cleaning or hand-washing compulsions, which can also turn into germophobia. Checkers repeatedly check things. Is the oven turned off? Is the door locked? And they associate that with harm or danger, meaning this house could burn down. That's the irrational thought. What I do in therapies, I often like to use an interrupter here. So let's say the checking is about making sure she's gotten her keys. I'll have her put a bell on her keys and only move her bag to hear them so she doesn't have to go rummaging around in her purse. Again, you want to move away slowly from the checking behavior piece by piece and learn how to manage your anxiety slowly but surely. So they're washers, checkers, and then they're doubters and sinners who are afraid that if everything isn't perfect or done just right, something terrible will happen or they will be punished. And this is a thought that they obsess about. Now, it's interesting because someone with this disorder who's also a a doubter or a sinner might project this onto you. For example, asking you, do you think you're being punished for something if you're struggling in some way? These people really have a hard time. Then there are counters and arrangers. These people are obsessed with order and symmetry. Again, they have to have it in order to control their anxiety. They may have superstitions about certain numbers, colors, or arrangements. These are people who have to have things arranged in twos or threes, but always the same. If I have someone in my office with OCD, I have an old-timey grate back behind my chair, and I can tell when they're starting to count the number of spaces in the grate. And we laugh, and I get them distracted, but they're doing that to somehow feel less anxious. The last group are hoarders, and they fear that something bad will happen if they throw anything away. They compulsively hoard things that they don't need or even use. Now, hoarding has actually been made into its own disorder in the most recent version of the DSM. But frequently, hoarders also suffer with depression, PTSD, compulsive buying, kleptomania, skin picking or tick disorders. It's really a terrible disorder to have. Now, of course, we're going to talk about what you can do about OCD. Most of the treatments for OCD rely on what's called exposure therapy, meaning that you force yourself to live through a small amount, and I mean small, amount of anxiety at a time and introduce more and more time between the obsession and the compulsive act, meaning I'm afraid the house is going to burn down and so you say I've got to go check if I turn the stove off and you wait 15 seconds and then you wait 20 seconds and then you wait 30 seconds until you've gotten it up to 30 minutes. What you learn during that time is to self-manage that anxiety with soothing statements. And with therapy and CBT, cognitive behavioral work, you can begin to evaluate the rationality of those very fears. 
Now, as most people can see, this becomes much more complicated during a pandemic because it's truly and rationally harder to see what is rational and what's not. So counting on experts, true experts, not the neighborhood person who sends you dramatic Facebook posts, you can rely on them and you can also use mindfulness practice and try to stay very much in the present moment. You want to be able to respond, not react. That's the goal for so many anxiety sufferers, to notice, but stay rationally detached from irrational fear. Let's move on to phobias. There are a lot of them. Yours truly has an irrational fear or phobia of heights. I can't look over a second floor balcony without my stomach feeling queasy. But, and here's one of the important features, it doesn't interfere with my life. So it's a discomfort for me, but to call it a phobia is probably a little bit strong. Here's another example. People can be nervous about becoming sick or more worried than normal about getting the virus during the pandemic, and this will lead to good practices and caution. But someone with germophobia can't control their actions, and they will avoid anything that might contaminate them to the point of being ridiculous. Now, there was a detective show years ago whose title role was Monk, who solved cases primarily because of the strength of details he noticed at the crime scene, a plus from his anxiety. But he did lots of unusual things to avoid germs. Howie Mandel, the comedian and one of the judges of America's Got Talent, is a professed germaphobe. We can laugh with these guys, but I just talked to someone last week whose OCD and germophobia has been viciously triggered by the pandemic. And she called me because she's been managing it pretty well, but now she's being expected to return to normal work. She was desperate for help. Again, you might notice yourself being a little bit more leery of germs or getting anxious about your supply of disinfectant wipes getting low. But how much is it interfering with your life? And that's what you want to be very honest with yourself, or at least try to be even during this pandemic. Now let's talk about agoraphobia. Just like people with eating disorders are struggling through this pandemic with so much focus on eating at home and food in general, agoraphobes, people who irrationally fear leaving home, are now being given permission to do just that. And their fear can intensify because their ability to discern what's safe and what's not is a struggle for them normally. Given COVID, it's becoming truly difficult. I worked with a medical student years ago who struggled with this. Interestingly, as long as she was in her white coat and acting as a physician, she was fine. But take it off, and her fears learned sadly in childhood that the world was too dangerous and people not to be trusted. That fear grew very quickly. By the time she got home, she was terrified. After she married, she and her husband wanted to have children, and the last thing she wanted was to pass her fears on. So she came into therapy. She did a great job of slowly and carefully exposing herself to her anxieties, and she got better. I don't mean to make this sound easy. Again, this has to be a very slow process. But with patience and with support from a really good therapist who knows a lot about anxiety or just from some of your friends, if you feel like you can do it by yourself, then you can do it. I'll give you another quick example. I had someone who was really afraid to go into big box stores. And so what I started to have her do, she sort of had a box store of phobia, I guess. I'm not making fun of it. I just, you know, I'm not sure what kind of phobia it would be. But I would have her just park in the farthest parking place in the parking lot of some big box store and sit there for maybe five minutes, watch people go in and out and then leave. And gradually we got her car closer and closer 
to, let's say, Lowe's or Home Depot or something. Then we had her start getting out, go in the door and come right back out. And gradually, over about three or four months, she began to address her fear of big box stores and began to manage it by taking more time between the time she told herself it was dangerous and when she acted on that danger, increasing the time between the the rumination or the obsession and her reaction to it. Again, you want to learn to respond, not react. Now let's focus on post-traumatic stress disorder. It's an interesting fact that only 15 to 20% of people who are exposed to the same trauma will develop PTSD. A past history with trauma or mental illness or genetic issues seem to be the culprit. But PTSD requires that a trauma be experienced that is totally outside of normal experience and is highly threatening. We all think of returning soldiers suffering here and often they do. and It can be extremely difficult for them. But actually, sexual assault is the number one cause of PTSD, and most reported sexual assaults are by women. There are some subtypes like what's called intergenerational PTSD, where somehow actual DNA seems linked to the transmissions of the disorder. But what's been found to help with PTSD is very similar to these other disorders. Social support, body work where the body tends to hold on to trauma, Cognitive restructuring, where you look at your beliefs and experiences of the trauma. Even EMDR, which is a technique that leads you to be able to remember the trauma without as much emotional reaction. You can see where this pandemic could cause a re-triggering of PTSD. I just saw today that communities are sending out phone alerts that warn of a sudden increase in COVID cases for that community or county. That could be very difficult for someone who's hyper-aroused or hyper-vigilant. Just think their phone goes off with what sounds like a tornado warning. Their rational self is glad to be reminded to be careful. And they can say, it's only a warning, you're safe right now. But your irrational self that has PTSD or struggles with it may sense immediate danger and get lost in a flashback or have nightmares. Or do something impulsive, like drive way too fast to somewhere you might feel more safe where you're actually putting your safety more in danger. There are certainly already people that this pandemic has become a trauma in and of itself. Perhaps a loved one became suddenly very ill or died, or you yourself became ill, and you wondered, will I live? I think as a culture, we'll need to watch for these signs in one another and ourselves very carefully. Post-traumatic stress disorder may emerge in people for the first time as we begin to slowly assess these mental consequences of the pandemic. But if this is you or someone you love, please know there is good treatment and good help, but you have to ask for it. And talking about it is the best thing to heal stress disorder or trauma disorder. It's odd because so many people I've treated will say, but if I talk about what happened, won't that make it worse? Actually, the opposite is true. It may be hard at first, but you're building an immunity to your fear and horror, slowly but surely. In fact, all of these nurses and doctors and respiratory therapists and cleaning crews who've had to go in day after day, they're going to need some de-escalation work. They're going to need support and allow them, even encourage them to talk about what their experiences have been. You may not have any answers, but you can listen. If you experience any of these, please let your doctor know or seek a therapist who's well acquainted with treating anxiety and trauma. And if you don't know, ask. 
Ask your therapist, what techniques do you use? Do you have special training? It's their job to let you know. And you can even take someone with you at first if that's helpful. A good therapist will earn your trust and help you feel safe as quickly as possible. But if you need a little support, that should be fine. And all of us need to take care. We're dealing with a kind of anxiety we have never come across before. And please know you don't have to be alone in facing whatever your anxiety could be. Our listener email today was from someone who used the speak pipe feature, and she had a beautiful accent, and I hope that I understood exactly what she said. Let's listen. Hi, Dr. Margaret. I've been listening to your podcast for a while now. I would like to know what are your thoughts on the following. I've been in a relationship with someone from where she had told me that I constantly stripped her of her identity. However, I don't feel I did in any way. Can you please help me in understanding how I could have done that? Thank you. If I heard this person correctly, their question was to try to understand how they could be stepping on the identity of someone they cared about and then not even know it. So the first thing I'll say is that far too often people feel as if their mind should be read even though they may have given off lots of nonverbal cues or made passive-aggressive choices that would, quote-unquote, get the message across. But sometimes, in fact, often, when someone is feeling left out or not respected or not seen, they have to verbalize that. I well remember a time when my husband and I would get in the same fight about money every month. One day he looked at me and told me explicitly how he thought I was treating him. And he was right but I hadn't been able to see it, and I'm trained to see stuff like this, except, of course, in myself. Now, he explained it to me clearly and without anger, and that helped. So, you may think the other person should see or ought to see how they're stepping on your toes, but sometimes we can all be blind to our own vulnerabilities. However, I want to also be quick to wonder, perhaps this listener grew up in a family or a culture where one partner was permitted or even encouraged to dominate the other. That was accepted, or what they learned was acceptable. This could be males dominating females or vice versa. But it's not okay for the person who's being dominated or stepped on. So I would wonder with you about what you learn in your family about respect, about control issues. Was it okay for one person to have all the control, or was it not? And what do you think? What rules do you still want to follow? Here's one more thing. I've heard many people say in couples therapy that after they hear that their partner has an issue with something, they'll say, well, you know, it's not an issue for me. And my response is usually, if you want your partner to feel respected, then you may not agree with their issue, but you can try to understand it. So perhaps if this listener who wrote me in tries to understand the viewpoint of the other and not agree or disagree with it, then positive change can occur. You want to show them that you care that they feel like they're being stepped on, although you may not know how you're doing it or even agree that you are. But what matters is your empathy. I want to thank all of you for being here. I'm so grateful for my listeners. 
And thanks so much again for recent reviews that have been left on Apple Podcasts. For example, this podcast has been a godsend to me because I never knew that perfectly hidden depression exists. The topics in this podcast are so relevant to our daily lives. I love that she continues learning and takes the time to answer emails from listeners. And then here's another one. I absolutely love that I came across this podcast in my search for exactly, as the title suggests, some self-work. The episodes are perfect length and the variety of topics keeps it fresh and interesting. Keep it up, Dr. Margaret. Absolutely love it. When someone asks me for a good recommendation on a podcast, yours is the first I mention. Y'all are truly my biggest cheerleaders, so thank you very much by telling your friends, your family, maybe featuring one of my podcasts on your Facebook page or Instagram. If you tag me, I'll also thank you personally. I've had a couple of great interviews about perfectly hidden depression this week. One was with a guy from the Story Box. His name is Jay. He's from Australia. And we had a wonderful talk. And then a coffee with the Sarlows. And they were in Toronto, Canada. So I'm hoping those interviews come out soon. And if you're interested in reading them or seeing them, you can always get over to my Facebook page and I post them there. I also want to say, if you've been interested in the podcast episodes about Perfectly Hidden Depression, I want you to know that I say a lot more in the book about it. And there are over 60 exercises that are guides to you actually beginning to change slowly again, but surely. And Perfectly Hidden Depression is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or at your favorite bookstore. They'll have to order it, but it's a way to support them. I'm over on Instagram at Dr. Margaret Rutherford doing a fun new series called What I've Learned as a Therapist, or I did it last year and I had a lot of fun with it, so I'm returning to my roots. (laughs) And I'm going to do it 100 days in a row, so come join me with some fun. And then if you'd like to join my private and closed Facebook group, please do so at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. We're a very diverse international group, and you're welcome. Just answer the questions. Again, facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Thank you once again for being here. Please take very good care. If you're struggling with anxiety, reach out for help from friends, from a therapist, or from your doctor. This is Dr. Margaret. And you've been listening to Self Work.